I remember my freshman year at Montreat College like it was just yesterday. Adjusting to the rigors of college classes can be a challenge for a freshman, and especially for one who was required to take all early courses due to my basketball schedule. Now, while it was often hard to get up and be in class at 8 a.m., I did very well in my classes except for one. I had a psychology class that was taught by a monotone professor who was riding out his last year before retirement. The reading was uninteresting to me, the lectures were torturous, and for the first time in my academic career, I was failing a class. In my mind, I knew that I just needed to meet the minimum requirements to pass and to get credit. This would require me to get a C, which at that point was going to be a real struggle. My professor knew that I was uninterested and that I struggled to keep focus in class, and he had very little pity and mercy on me. I had dug my own grave. In my mind, how would I ever use psychology in my career? For me, this class was a huge waste of time and money. But the good news is that I got an A on my final exam, which propelled me to get the C that I needed to pass. It was truly a miracle. The irony is that I would take psychology again in seminary, but this time I realized that it was necessary for what I was called to do, and honestly, it wasn't so bad. I had a deeper appreciation for how it helped me be a better pastor and a better disciple of Jesus. Where I struggled the first time that I took it and only desired to get by, I excelled and got an A that I'd worked hard for. But truth be told... I got more than a grade. I learned very important things. And I also grew as a person and was able to understand people and families better as a pastor. Now, I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a similar situation, but I find that there are certain things in life that we just want to do the bare minimum to get by. There are things that we don't like or desire, and so we just do whatever it takes to get through them. We never look at the situation with what's best for us in mind. Instead, we seek the path of least resistance. Now, we can do this with our education. We can do this with our jobs. We can do this in the raising of our children. And we can also do this in our faith. As we wrap up today our sermon series entitled The Road Less Traveled, we come to Jesus' challenging words that often make us content in just doing the bare minimum. Jesus tells us this. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. He causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. Now, surely Jesus doesn't mean this. I mean, he's talking to his own people, the Israelites who find themselves under the oppression of Rome. The Romans had attacked Israel and took over the land that was given to them by God. And they were allowed to live under their rule, but they were not free to do as they pleased. All of Israel viewed the Romans as their enemies and prayed that God would intervene and save them from their oppressors. 
How could Jesus even mention the thought of loving the oppressors or even praying for them? You see, the Israelites obeyed and followed God's law. In Leviticus 19.18, which commanded them, Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Keep my decrees. They understood God's command to love their neighbor as themselves, and for the most part, they followed this command. But we often read this differently than they understood it. Because, well, we've read Jesus' words in the Gospels, and particularly his parable we know as the Good Samaritan that expounds upon who the neighbor just happens to be. Yet for Israel, their neighbor was not their enemy. God had commanded them to love those within their own community, fellow Israelites, and even the foreigners who lived among them as themselves This can provide a loophole that allowed them to hate those who hated them, to retaliate against those who sought to harm them or persecute them. And now Jesus radically changes the boundaries associated with the law. He turns it completely upside down and commands them to pray for their persecutors and to love the enemies from within and even from without. It's quite possible that Jesus is even addressing the teachings of the Essenes, a group of zealous Jews who lived around the Dead Sea, whose writings gave permission to hate their enemies. But Jesus acknowledges both good and evil. He doesn't dismiss those who do evil. He calls evil what it is. He doesn't condone evil. He expects his disciples not to repay evil for evil. He expects for them to be radically different by breaking the cycle of hatred and evil by combating it with love. And according to Jesus, this is what God does. Thus, they are to be perfect like their Father in heaven Now, so far, Jesus has challenged us as we've gone through this series together to walk down the narrow road that leads to life through our obedience, offering forgiveness to those who have hurt us, trusting him in our prayers, and giving to the needy in secret. Some of us struggle to forgive those who have hurt us, but that seems pretty doable when compared with praying for or loving our enemies. This word from Jesus seems downright impossible for us, doesn't it? Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And since we can't be perfect because we're sinners, let's just do the best we can, right? Let's love those who love us. Let's greet those who are part of who we are. That's good enough, isn't it? Better to stay away from those who do evil, exclude them, denounce them, and attack them if necessary. But Jesus says that's not enough. That's the bare minimum according to his standards. He says that even the tax collectors love those who love them and that the pagans greet their own. Essentially, Jesus says, so what? (laughs) Now, that would be quite a slap in the face to anyone who thought they were considered a good and faithful Jew. Now, tax collectors were thieves who took more than they were supposed to from the Israelites. They were Jewish sellouts to their enemies, Rome. And considered an enemy from within. Zacchaeus might have been a wee little man, but his peers hated him. And it's quite interesting that Matthew, the writer of this gospel, was a tax collector called by Jesus to be his disciple. And while pagans, they were enemies too. Gentile foreigners who mostly bordered around the country of Israel. 
and who worshipped unknown foreign gods. How could Jesus compare their love to that of tax collectors and pagans? You see, to Jesus, they were trying to get a C, not really trying to grow and learn. But the question is, do we do the same things? Do we prefer just to get by when it comes to this hard teaching? Do we come to Jesus like the rich ruler did, asking what we must do to inherit eternal life, hoping that we've obeyed the law just enough to pass the test? Or do we take Jesus' words seriously? Now, while the language of pagans and tax collectors seems foreign to us, I believe that there are modern-day equivalents. Americans can name their enemies. We've seen radical Muslims attack us on September the 11th and others who persecute Christians all over the world. Russia, China, Iran, and North Korea are viewed as enemies who constantly test our patience. These are just a few of the pagans who live beyond our borders, but there are also enemies much closer than that. It's really all a matter of perspective, I suppose. Tax collectors or sinners are defined differently depending on where you stand. You see, we see radical hatred that exists between whites and blacks and Asians and Latinos in our own country. Confederate flags still fly on flagpoles and on the backs of trucks. Asians are being attacked and killed because they are wrongly associated with the coronavirus pandemic. Many evangelical Christians associate the LBGTQ community as morally sinful, and the LBGTQ community regards evangelical Christians as hypocritical Pharisees. Politically, the enemy is the Democrat for the Republicans and the Republican for the Democrats. As Nathaniel replied to Philip in John's Gospel regarding Jesus, Can anything good come from Nazareth? So, too, political adversaries regard the other as no good while standing in the assumption of their own moral righteousness. Social media has become the devil's playground where we attack those like a pack of wolves. It's easy to slay the wicked and those we hate in our own eyes, isn't it? I mean, doesn't God want us to do his bidding by ridding the world of evil? To take a stand and to call out the enemies of his kingdom? I have to tell you, This hit home for me this week. I received an email from a local pastor who sent an email to lots of pastors here in our county. It was targeted at pastors and their congregations who in his eyes have failed to live up to Jesus' standards. I want to read you just a portion of what he sent. He says this, For over a week now I have watched you declare your unwavering intent to back the blue. Honestly, I found such displays to be disgusting, though not surprising. Of course, ministers are in the business of supporting things that they believe will wash away their sins. Surely this time is no different. Slogans like Back the Blue distract from the fact that you did little to protect the lives of Chris Ward and Logan Fox before they were killed. When faced with the ongoing mental health crisis in this area, you have most often chosen indifference. Now, the email goes on, and rather than being kind of focused on we struggle to do these things, it's focused on you, and you have failed, and your church has failed, and you are responsible for these deaths. It's rather scathing and judgmental. 
And rather than acknowledging the need for everyone to seek and to serve the mentally ill, while at the same time seeking to serve our officers and families who've been affected by such a horrible and evil tragedy, this pastor attacked what he believed to be the enemy from within. Rather than encouraging churches and pastors in our local congregations to care for everyone in such a horrible situation, the email pointed the finger and put the blame on every pastor and countless others. I got to tell you, I was pretty angry after I read this email. And it saddened me to see a fellow pastor assume that he solved the problem while everyone else has failed miserably. Now, I almost sent a fiery email back to combat the arrows shot at every pastor and church in our community who seeks to love everyone with the love of Christ in their congregations. But I didn't. I wanted to tell him that I have a mother who suffers from mental illness and that I don't need a lesson on caring for such people. But I didn't. Instead, these words from Jesus kept coming back to me. Pray for those who persecute you. But I don't want to, I thought to myself. I would rather pray for this self-righteous man to be taught a lesson in humility, and I would gladly be the person, Lord, to do it. But I know, in my heart of hearts, that Jesus doesn't want us to pray for someone else's demise. That's not the God I know who so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. I didn't have to agree with what he wrote or even tolerate it. I was asked and commanded by Jesus to love him as God does. And I prayed for him, but I must admit it was not easy to do. The truth is, is that I can't do it alone. And neither can you. We're not perfect, but that's not what Jesus is literally calling us to be. He's not calling us to perfection. The word itself is calling us to full maturity, to be wholly devoted to God. The Apostle Paul says it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives within me. In the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. According to Paul, we are new creations in Christ. The old is gone and the new has come. And we must resist the urge to get even and to lash out or to repay evil for evil. No, we're called to follow Jesus who kept his enemies close. In fact, it was Jesus who invited his enemies to eat with him. Tax collectors, pagans... And even the enemy from within, the Pharisees, teachers of the law. In fact, even the most famous psalm that we all know so well, Psalm 23, reminds us, and we often skip over this, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You see, friends, the kingdom is full of enemies who are welcome to Christ table. And the good news of the gospel is that Jesus hung on the cross and prayed for the Father to forgive his enemies of their ignorance, and that includes every single one of us. 1 John chapter 4 verses 10 and 11 remind us this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. 
Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. So the question remains, what are we to do? Well, I think that we need to confess who our enemies are. We need to acknowledge them and pray for them. Not only to pray for them, but also to love them as God loves us. In other words, let us pray for their conversion and even for our own, that they and we may be converted from enemies to neighbors. Let us not be content with doing the bare minimum here. Instead, may we walk down the road less traveled, the road Jesus walks and bids us to follow, that we may grow in our faith, being faithful disciples who draw nearer to God as his sons and daughters. The reward is not a grade. The reward is being closer to Christ. The reward is being more like Christ. The reward is living in to what God has called us to be together as his church. So friends, may we do this hard work together, praying for and loving our enemies and not just those who love us, those who are part of us. Let us walk down the road less traveled together. May it be so this day and forevermore. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.